All right, the red light is on. Actually, I don't know if that portrays me as particularly <laughs> smart. Have you met my auntie pop? A lot's going to come out in that trial. Yeah, we've had all sorts of shenanigans going on this week in the Congress. La Portada podcast with Simon Hunter and Lily Mayers. No, that sounds weird. <laughs> Monkey pox. <laughs> is that an English thing? I've said, well, I've said oh, it already. Said I've said it already. Yeah, but we're, no, right. If they did, yeah. is that legal? Well, that's the next point. Buenos dias, buenas tardes, y buenas noches. Whenever and wherever you are listening, you are most welcome to La Portada, which is coming to you live on tape from Madrid. My name is Simon Hunter. I'm a British journalist who's been based in Madrid since the year 2000. And I'm here with my colleague, Lily Mayers, an Australian journalist also living in the Spanish capital. And we are here to bring you the best and most interesting Spanish stories every week, perhaps even a few times a week, depending on what's going down. On this podcast we are going to bring you news culture interviews anything we can find that interests us and that we think will interest you whether you live here whether you lived here whether you've never lived here and never will live here whether you visited or holidayed here or even have just heard of spain and want to know more about it this is the podcast for you Now today we will be looking at planned changes to prostitution laws in Spain, discussing the forest fires in Malaga and hearing from a writer who has dedicated an entire book to explaining why Spain is ugly. But before I say anything else about what we're going to be doing with this podcast, it is my great honour to introduce my co-presenter and the co-founder of this project, Lily Mayers. Hello, Lily. Hello. Thank you, Simon. It's an honour to be here. No, it's great. Uh, well, first of all, I wanted to thank everyone who are already subscribed and following La Portada. What a wonderful reception it's had, just the trailer. Yeah. It's so nice to know that we've already got some listeners. I really hope this will become a helpful weekly podcast for people living in Spain or abroad who want to know what's happening here. We are certainly making it because we do feel there is a gap. Definitely. Um, to your question about why I'm here, <laughs> I moved to Madrid with my partner Connor in 2020 to film a documentary about COVID. Before that, I was a TV journalist in Sydney, Australia, working at the ABC for six years. And my connection to Spain is through my family on my mum's side, who are Andalusian and Gibraltarian. It was almost always my goal to live in Spain and it does feel like home. Luckily, it does for Connor as well. And we have no plans to move. Yeah, well, good for you. Thanks. Yeah, and I must say, I mean, you do look very Spanish. But it, with one notable exception is that you're incredibly tall. Yes. <laughs> yep. kind of Genetics morphed me. Incredibly pretty oh, kind thanks. of Spanish features. Yeah, we yeah, should probably pause the there. Train. Oh, why? No, because all, all the men listening will be running off trying oh. to find a picture of you now that I've said that you're very pretty. <laughs> no, 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 don't do that. <laughs> um, no, but yeah, on trains and anytime I'm in a cafe, I am a good two heads taller than Spanish women. Yes, really, really funny. Um, yeah, and you mentioned the man who will be pushing our buttons every week, which is Connor Doyle, who is also, I'm calling him our, our armchair pundit because he sat behind me on my sofa. Very leisurely. <laughs> welcome, Connor. I'm just happy to be here, Simon. Thank you very much. <laughs> you're very welcome. <laughs> 
And as for me, you may have heard a previous podcast I did called Ke, which was produced while I was working at what we shall refer to from now on as the other place, mm-hmm. uh, the English edition of the Spanish daily El País. After nearly 16 years, I'm no longer at the other place. If you were an eagle-eyed reader, you may be able to uh, read between the lines and work out what happened there. But anyway, <laughs> it's not important right now. And one day, maybe here, I shall go into a bit more detail about the whole saga. Uh, but since then, I've been getting going as a freelancer. I'm working for The Times. I'm doing some stuff for the local. Um, still doing my You've voice. You've been very, very busy. I have, haven't I? Considering mm. I was kind of officially unemployed for a little while. Uh, for about a day. <laughs> yeah. I've done a bit of telly. I've done oh, some TV yeah. this week, which is great right. fun. I was on Antena 3 earlier in the week talking about the Queen, talking about Boris. Uh, and I'm here with this podcast, which I'm very, very excited about. Right. Without any further ado, let's turn to our first topic, which is... Prostitution. Prostitution, (laughs) yeah, we're starting. Empezamos fuerte, as they say. Right, so Lily, uh, I was recently asked to participate in a debate. I told you about this before, Mm. that debate about the... um, Abortion law. Yeah, the abortion law. And uh, I was uh, talking to two women in this debate and I was so conscious (laughs) to not mansplain. So again, here, I'm going to be very careful not to mansplain while we're talking about this. So I should point out that I don't have any um, (laughs) prior knowledge in No, 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 no. But I just mean because there's a a feminist issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I get what you mean. Um, just to explain to you, by the way, mansplaining Lily is oh, when a man right. explains something to a woman Got in it. a really patronising oh, way. I just so wanted much. to make sure you were thank clear so on that. Much. So tell us a bit about this story. What's been going on this week? So the government has this week proposed legislation that would criminalise paying for sex and for soliciting or pimping prostitutes. Prostitution is in a legal limbo in Spain. It was decriminalised in 1995 and it's been left relatively unregulated since then. But it is an area that our PSOE Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez has made a priority to address. His coalition government won a vote on Tuesday to have this legislation drawn up and it would see punishments for those buying sex and accommodating it longer jail sentences for pimping and tougher stances on those who are using minors or vulnerable people for sex work or trafficking. When it comes to the sex workers themselves, the new law proposes to identify them as a victim and get them into help without punitive consequences. Simon, why don't you tell us how this bill has eventuated and how that vote went down in Congress this week? Yeah, this is actually is really quite confusing because we've got lots of different laws uh, coming along at the same time. One of the laws that the Spanish government is currently preparing is the solo CSC, which means only yes means yes, which is basically all to do with consent. And this really comes along in the wake of you know, big cases like the uh, the wolf pack, La Manada, the, mm. the rape case at the mm-hmm. running of the bulls. Uh, and, and what this legislation is aimed at is making sure that there is consent uh, when there are, you know, in terms of um, sexual relationships between uh, between uh, men and women. Uh, well, I guess men and women. Oh, yeah. and, men and, men. and men and men. Yeah, and women, women and women. And women. <laughs> 
the Socialist Party, who, let's not forget, are in a coalition with uh, junior partners, Unidas Podemos, they were insisting that this ban on pimping, because it's this is another thing I find really confusing, is you read some headlines and it makes it look like they're actually pushing for a ban on prostitution, but this is more, this legislation is more aimed at a ban on pimping. The PSOE, the Socialist Party, was insisting that this ban on pimping went into the CSC law which that nearly saw, saw that legislation fail because Unidas Podemos weren't happy about that so in the end they took it out of that law so the, the CSC law is, is progressing without this element uh, and then they registered this proposal uh, instead now interestingly because the opposition popular party never normally agrees <laughs> with yeah. the socialist party on anything even really important matters such as terrorism um or you know matters of state when you would expect them to be sort yeah, of you know national yeah kind of, yeah, kind of yeah sort of uh, loyal and and you know do things for the common good the the popular party here is actually agreeing uh, on this and that you know the yeah, the final objective should be the uh, the end of prostitution but prostitution as in as in pimping um but there's lots of splits in in the Congress among the parties. I mean, there's there's in fact, Udinas Podemos is quite um, you know is quite reticent in this in this respect because basically they're drawing the uh, distinction between someone who is trafficked and someone who is forced into uh, uh, prostitution against their will. And then uh, a sex worker who is doing it of their own free will uh, and, you know, is basically making a living from this because they want to do it. Um, and those people are, are certainly, from what we've seen, uh, you know, are quite very resistant to, mm. to any changes to their situation and any changes in the law. Um the Pesoe spokesperson this week, uh, Adriana Lastra, this week she spoke in Congress because there was a debate on this in Congress uh, and she had some figures about this. Um, she said that 45,000 women are sexually exploited in Spain and she asked, how much longer are we going to keep waiting to do something? She also pointed out, and this is extraordinary, that Spain is one of the European countries with the highest levels of prostitution. Mm. But there was only one sentence passed down for pimping in 2021 and i find that really shocking yeah uh i mean you know good on the government for trying to do something to tackle trafficking which is obviously you know is is just awful. it's a major it's, issue yeah also in it's a 21st century slavery uh, isn't it but you also got a kind of question well why aren't there are existing laws against mm. this and why uh, aren't they being enforced the sex industry is a massive business in Spain. It's I know the the, the minister said forty five thousand women currently exploited. The UN has the estimated figure for sex workers here closer to three hundred thousand. They say Spain is the third largest center for prostitution in the world, and that has a lot. And the trafficking element has also a lot to do with where Spain is situated geographically. We're in between a lot of migratory routes, and. The, the main tra uh, victims of trafficking are coming from West Africa, Romania, South America. So, yeah, it's a strate Spain is strategically in a very difficult position to, to um, get a hold on this. And also because of the nature of trafficking, there is so much secrecy. There's lots of common use of death threats against the, um, the women that are being exploited. So it's almost impossible to get really a reliable statistical 
grasp of the extent of the problem. Yeah. All we have to go with, we have to presume is the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, absolutely. Because it is, well, this is the thing, it moves an incredible amount of money in Spain, but it's also, it's so out in the open and it does seem to be something that is socially um, maybe not acceptable, but certainly something that's tolerated. I mean, you guys must have, you're new to Spain, you must have, have you noticed the, the roadside brothels, the big, uh, maybe you haven't, the, you, when you're I'm driving noticed- down the, the, the freeway and you see this, it says club basically oh, right, that's yeah. not a nightclub yeah anyway. yeah yeah i used to be really good at spotting them in sydney because <laughs> from where we lived i just got a knack for it but here i'm still adjusting but um i've more noticed women on the street soliciting yeah. and I, yeah. I think part of this debate has to do with the definition of prostitution whether it's self-prostitution or prostitution yeah. of others Absolutely. Um, the There's some figures that I've seen that say that 80% of prostitutes in Spain are foreigners. Most often they are in an irregular situation. Mm. And uh, I have seen figures that suggest that more than 90% are victims of uh, human trafficking, which is obviously really, really shocking. Um, so as you may expect, this uh, <laughs> this proposal from a left-wing government has not gone down particularly well with uh, right-wing commentators um one uh, in particular because as you know lily i'm always glued to twitter <laughs> uh, one in particular one um exchange in particular caught my attention and, and made me laugh uh, which was a um a chap called uh, juan carlos girauta he's a he's a sort of writer and a commentator he's also uh, a politician he's actually been through all the different parties he started off with the socialists in oh, Catalonia. Really? yeah slowly went, going further yeah. right then he went to the, no well actually no because then he went to the pp and now he's with now he's with the others but he is he is very right wing in, in what he writes about he wrote this tweet that really made me laugh. It said something like, if A freely offers sexual services and B is willing to pay for them, C can stick their opinions uh, where the sun doesn't shine or something oh, like that. that's yeah. overly simplified. Absolutely. And another uh, very amusing commentator on Twitter, Gerardo Tece, he, re- he replied, says, hello, B, I'll explain it to you. <laughs> Normally, A is in the, ma- in, in the hands of mafias who are exploiting her sexually. Uh, in a in a situation that's n- close to slavery, and if you B doesn't have a problem with that, then the C's are very free to remind you that you're a terrible human being. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's another massive issue. Some sex work associations agree, whereas others say these proposed changes will just push operations underground or on the streets, uh, particularly those affecting accommodating prostitution. And they say that does a disservice to women's safety. Um, And there's also a massive history of disagreement on whether criminalisation just punishes people rather than reaching the sort of causal root of the issue, the social and economic um, pressures that push people into the industry in the first place. So it's it's hard to address this issue and the industry holistically and... But, but but this law has a long way to go, doesn't it, before it's yeah. no, law. absolutely. No, and it's a bit, it's just kind of similar to the abortion uh, uh, argument, isn't it, that you're not going to, banning abortions doesn't get rid of abortions, it just gets mm. rid of safe, uh, uh, safe abortions, and it's the same with prostitution. I mean, there's, I just, it's inconceivable to me that you could possibly even consider that you're going to 
outlaw prostitution in Spain mm. because it just it just wouldn't happen. I mean, it's it, you know it's such a it's such a massive industry, and uh, it, you know the courts would just be <laughs> would just be mm. overwhelmed basically. So that is never going to happen. But um, but yeah, I mean, it, it could be we could see um, some progress here. I mean, another one of the um, another one of the possible side effects to this is that mm, family members, for example, of uh, mm. sex workers could actually be liable for prosecution because they are receiving Sending the income back, from yeah. their exactly yeah, yeah. from their relatives so there's a there's a lot there to uh, a lot there to iron out still all right and our second uh, issue this week is the wildfires down in malaga now these are in the uh, sierra bermeja mountains and they come hot on the heels of uh, a really really bad fire in late 2021 right next door i mean practically in mm. the same area so lily tell us what have you seen uh, down in the south firefighters started trying to get a handle on this big forest fire on wednesday yesterday the town of benavis was closed and evacuated the, they joined three other municipalities that had already been evacuated about 2000 people were asked to leave their homes we saw a shelter set up uh, by the Red Cross for those people who'd been displaced temporarily. About 100 military troops were brought in to help control the blaze. It, a lot of it was happening in quite deep valleys. A lot of, as you say, it was a mountain range, so it's quite hard for firefighters to get into some of these areas. And wind was a massive issue in fighting the fire. It, there was a sort of heat storms as well that also made it difficult for helicopter assistance um, at times. It reached uh, emergency level two um, in Spain's fire plan. Yeah, it was pretty terrifying. There's more than 2,000 hectares of land have been completely razed. And we're talking, you know, quite an upmarket area as well. This is, uh, I have, I'm, I'm very fond of... Uh, uh, of Marbella, we go yeah. there. We go there with my wife's family every couple of years, and it's uh, it's quite an amusing place. But yeah, this is up uh, in the luxury urbanizaciones. Now that word, I'm just going to briefly dwell on that word because that word urbanizacion kind of means sort of you know development, urbanization. Exactly, yeah. But there's no real, there's not a great way of kind of translating that into yeah. English because if you say estate, it kind of sounds like it's council estate, mm, or like a retirement home. So, yeah. So all of the, uh, I think most people, most of the uh, uh, British migrants who live down there, they they do call them urbanization. This is, <laughs> I love that little bit of Spanglish there. But yeah, so there was a Monte Mayor, Benavis, uh, Hill and Marbella Club mm. uh, were the areas. Three firefighters were injured. Mm. Uh, one had burns on 25% of his body. And really all this begs the question, what on earth is going on? Why hasn't the work gone in to, you know, clear these areas, clear all the, the, the brush and all the dry stuff that's going to um, go mm. up like a tinderbox? Um Especially after, you know, this happened just so recently. Mm. And this really falls down to the uh, to the Junta, the Andalusian uh, regional government. Um, they, the firefighters are complaining they haven't got enough resources. They've got a lack of equipment. Um, and this is pretty extraordinary. They actually suspend the work of the firefighters for six months a year. They just don't work, basically. They only work six months of the year. Six, the other six mm. months is supposed to be because, oh, there's no risk. But that means that they're not doing the work to... Maintenance. You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah, to clear the area and make sure that it's not only, uh, you know, not susceptible to these fires, but also is accessible to the uh, emergency services when uh, 
when these fires happen because what what i mean i don't know whether this one was accidental or whether it was mm. on purpose but it's quite shocking how many fires get started in spain on a deliberate basis whether it's just people being idiots mm. or if there's some sort of you know arson uh, yeah if there's kind of some sort of commercial interest in there because if you do you know sometimes when there are fires that land can then be rezoned and can be used for building so sometimes there's a, there's a fairly sort of nefarious motive to to this uh, to these fires but yeah it's pretty shocking and it's just again it's you know these extreme weather events that we're seeing in Spain more and more that are obviously uh, linked to climate change we've mm. seen all those floods uh, and yeah and fight I mean I, I've been caught I got caught in a little I was at the Benny Cassin festival one year and the surrounding fields just caught fire as mm. we were making our way to the to the festival I mean it was minor but it was terrifying it was yeah. still pretty scary yeah it can be very scary. Uh, yeah exactly and if you're you know you have the terrible luck to um lose your home in one of these fires it's uh it's just such an awful thing so yeah i i it does beg the question what on earth are the uh the, the authorities doing by not uh you know not properly uh putting in the work to clear these places up yeah and i saw a great quote i think it was in the, the olive press there was a, one local uh, uh, british woman she complained all they do around here is build golf courses you know, complaining about the efforts of the uh of the local, uh, you know, the local authorities. Well, that leads us nicely onto our next topic, doesn't it? It certainly does. I had the pleasure recently of speaking to my friend and former colleague, Andres Rubio. He's a journalist, writer, gallery owner, and one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. He used to edit the uh, El Viajero travel supplement at uh, El País, but he left a few years ago. And since then, he was working on a book, which, since it has been published, has proved to be something of a smash hit. I couldn't actually get a copy of it when I tried to buy it right, to prepare to uh, interview him and it's now on its third edition I believe Wow! it is called España Fea Ugly Spain and in it he examines why Spanish architecture is so appalling <laughs> in many cases in some areas yeah in some areas and why there are so many um, blights on the landscape now as you'll hear his English is very good but I should just point out that when he talks about promoters he means property developers there's a bit of a, a false friend English Spanish false friend there um, right so yeah let's uh, check it out So, welcome, Andres. Fantastic to have you uh, on La Portada podcast. Now, we both used to work at the other place. You were editor of the culture section and then the editor of the El Viajero travel supplement for how many years? For almost 20 years. Almost 20 years? Yeah. Oh, goodness. And when, when did you leave? Because we haven't seen each other since you left. Yeah, I left like four years ago. Four years? Yeah. Okay. I felt it was a bit longer than that, but so and so. What have you been doing since you yeah, <laughs> since you left El Paso? Living the life. Living the, <laughs> finally, no, no. You know, I I started to write this book that we are here to talk about, mm. and um, it's called España Fea, mm. Ugly Spain. <laughs> you know, some kind of uh, provocative and controversial title. Mm. Uh, so I did that. I was investigating, talking to many, many people, doing interviews, and the result is this book. Yes, I mean, it's it's a fan... Well, first of all, it's a fantastic book. 
meticulously researched. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's about four hundred and something pages, I think. And <laughs> yes, it's it's pretty extra. It's a pretty extraordinary book, and it seems to have touched a nerve. So, tell me about the original idea. How did the idea for the book come about? You know, when I was uh, in charge of the supplement, uh, sometimes we were doing the editing of the images. Mm. And we had to reframe them mm. in some cases to hide the ugliness, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so sad, you know. And uh, this didn't happen when we were dealing with uh, photographs from France or from uh, Austria or from uh, Germany even or Italy. Mm. So I started to think, what, what is that? Uh, why? Why is this happening? You know, and I started to to investigate and to analyze uh, the causes of this thing. You know, people who know Spain will probably have noticed this. That it does feel like you can be in this gorgeous older quarter of a city, and then take two steps and find yourself with these revolting, ugly flats or or, or whatever it, whatever it is. And it's a, it's, it can be such a contrast. It's yeah, quite, it's quite a, a shocking contrast. It's like that, you know, the peripheries of the cities and the peripheries of the old towns are hideous many mm. times, you know. Mm. And uh, this is because of the lack of uh, an urban planning scheme. You know, the thinkers of the city has have not been in the front ranks of power. Mm. And uh, this power has been given to promoters. And so you kind of, you sort of link this to the end of the Franco dictatorship and the beginning of, uh, or the return of democracy, the transition. So what was happening in Spain? What are the roots of this problem and this issue, would you say? You know, it's it's such a a complex uh, thing, but but it can be said that uh, in the middle of the Franco period, uh, when the Franco when the Franco regime uh, didn't have money at all and uh, was so isolated from the rest of the world, it happened that the Stanley, Stalin died at, uh, in 1953, and it started the Second Cold War. And in that moment, the United States um, dealt with Franco to install the military bases here in Spain Mm. and in the interchange the Franco regime received a lot of money from the United States the United States and this revitalized the regime Mm. and uh, the Franco regime uh, started to look to the United States model Mm. that is this uh, not regulated model in the urban planning you know, it was the, the model of management, of individual uh, benefit. Uh, at the same time in France, they were developing a model that is more from, from the state, having in mind the public good, mm. having in mind the, <clears throat> the concept of the Roman law mm. that is uh, publica utilitas, the public utility, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> Spain didn't look to France, mm-hmm. Spain looked to the United States mm-hmm. and the Anglo-Saxon model that in, in, in the question of the urban planet, planning. Mm-hmm. And if you had to point the figure at sort of three key figures 
who we could say are to blame <laughs> for this mm. phenomena. I mean, going going right back to to the transition, but also subsequently, who would you who would you point to? I mean, would it be politicians, uh, urban planners, mayors? I mean, who who are the people who are kind of to blame for this for this issue? Yeah, I think all of them combined. Mm. You know, it happens everywhere. You know, it happens in in the United Kingdom. Mm. It happens even in France that they have such a, a nice model. They it happens there too. You know, and the blame can be put on on the shoulders of uh, politicians, mm. promoters, even architects. In the case of Spain, I, I, I speak about uh, Felipe González, mm. you know, I, because he was the, the most intelligent politician in the transition to democracy. Uh, and he won three, uh, four elections consecutively and three of them with a, a big majority. So he, he had the time to do an urban planning ministry very powerful and to change things. But he didn't, uh, he didn't care about that, you know? I think you point out in the book that somewhere like Marbella, for example, down in the south of Spain, <laughs> Is it something like 98% of the coast has been has been developed and there's just so little that is, has yes, been yes. left untouched? Yes, the, the two, the 2% that is left now, that is nature, mm. you know, they are they are trying to build it and mm. they will do it. Mm. You know, it's a, it's chaos. Mm. It's a, the, the total lack of regulation. And then, of course, after Prime Minister Felipe González, we have José María Aznar, who I believe was in 1998 yeah. passed a decree that basically said all land can be built on yeah, in Spain. That was so toxic, you know. Mm. It's incredible to think that this politician uh, is a conservative, <laughs> apparently, mm. because it's so radical, mm. you know, to do that, you know. Uh, if you are a conservative, you should conservate. Mm. And if you are a patriot, you should conserve the, the territory of your nation. So, yeah, some of the most um, popular tourist uh, destinations are, are singled out in the book, of course. And, but interestingly, you're not quite as tough on Benidorm, for example, as I, <laughs> as I thought, yes. thought you might be. What's your opinion on, on Benidorm? Yes, I, I quite like a lot Benidorm. <laughs> yeah. You know why? Because the density of Benidorm is very ecological, mm. you know, and the, the skyscraper, skyscrapers of Benidorm are quite nice, mm. many of them, you know, they are probably not big works of, of architecture, but they are respectful with the basis of the modern movement of architecture, you know what I mean, mm. of modernism in architecture. And they are, some of them are elegant and they are in rows. So you have views of the sea and uh, you don't spoil a lot of territory. You have Benidorm in, in its concentration and uh, it's okay. Now, of course, tourism is and has been such a, a key driver of the Spanish economy. Do you, I mean, it occurs to me that maybe the sector in Spain, the tourism sector, could not have been as successful 
if it had not been for all of this construction. Yeah. Because obviously if tourists, tourists are coming to Spain, they need someone you, to stay. Yeah, you are right. Yeah. So, but could, could Spain have still been such a tourism destination without making it so ugly, without destroying it in this way? I think the problem is not a tourist industry. The problem is the lack of an intelligent uh, tourist industry, you know? And this intelligence uh, implies to have the thinkers of the city, again, I insist in that, doing, the, doing their work, mm. you know? And uh, in Spain, you know, the, everything has been put on the shoulders of the promoters yeah. with, this, with its selfish uh, motivations. You know, again, uh, uh, we didn't have a, a strategic plan for the industry of tourism and the results are terrible in many many places you know all the m most of the coast is uh, is almost destroyed you know mm. and after the success of this book andres have you got a new a next project in uh, mind I, I, I don't know i'm, I'm <laughs> relaxing now yes. and enjoying the, the the small success of the book no, you know, no, no i think it's been a great success. i'm very happy Good. Yeah, well, you yeah. should be. Excellent. Well, congratulations on the book. Okay. And thank you very much for your time. It was great to chat to you. Yeah, thank you, Simon. Thank you very much. Right, wasn't that that's so interesting, man? And that book is fantastic. I don't know. I did ask him whether he thought it would go into English. He said he doubted if there was interest. But actually, that interview, that the Times took that interview, so oh, there really? is interest. Yeah, yeah. So I thought it was, I thought it was really, really interesting. It's an area that you can't help but think about living, even visiting Spain, driving around. There seems to be invisible borders sometimes when you're driving. Of just intense, densely populated red bricks. And then you go into what you imagined of Spain, you know, the yeah. beautiful idyllic white pueblos. And um, so I think there's definite interest in it. But also, what, he just sounds like such a lovely man. <laughs> yeah, no, he's, he's a top guy. No, but it's just that thing I, that I mentioned to him. It's just that, you know, you have the old part of the town and then just around the corner, there's, this, you know, these horrible mm. blocks of flats. And he's got lots of photos in the book uh, of examples of, uh, of this kind of stuff. All right, well, something else we thought we might try as a feature is to look every week at other English language media in Spain and point you to their best Spanish stories. So it seems only fitting that uh, for this first week we should take a look at my my old stomping ground, uh, the English edition of El País. So here are their top stories this week about Spain. Um, All right, great, let's move on. What else has caught your eye this week in the news, Lily? Oh, I'm not going to touch that. <laughs> okay, here's a quick roundup of other top stories this week in Spain. First up, Algeria has suspended the Treaty of Friendship, Good Neighbourhood and Cooperation with Spain mm. because of what it calls Spain's unjustifiable position on Western Sahara. Spain's position, which shifted in April, was a big, 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 what's it? Bruja. Bruja. Yeah. 
about that. Uh, it shifted to, to favouring Morocco taking autonomy to travel changes in Spain. If you are coming into Spain from within the EU or a Schengen area, you no longer have to show a COVID certificate or the Spain travel health form. And while we're on tourism, the government announced this week that Spain has already recovered 94% of seats scheduled by airlines pre-pandemic, which is really good for for Spain tourism. So we we are getting closer to pre-pandemic normality. Um, And we've already seen that materialise in summer holiday airport congestion. It's hit London, Brussels, Amsterdam really hard. And Spanish authorities say to expect delays in Spain too. Part of that is, is due to a shortage of airport staff. And lastly, a man saved by ham. Bizarre. Ah, my bizarre, favorite story. Yeah. My favorite story. I've been waiting the whole show for this. <laughs> you brought this to my attention, Simon. <laughs> it actually happened around the corner from my apartment. Scarily. Um, In El Tigre. Yeah, which yeah. Is super famous. Well, my friend lives above mad, it. Mad, mad tapas. In Chueca. So there was a targeted shooting in Chueca last Sunday in which a man was saved by a leg of jamón. <laughs> this, which is the most Spanish sentence I've ever said in English. Um, this was just around the corner, yep, from my apartment in El Tigre. And El Pais reports that a 17-year-old burst into the bar, shot at a 32-year-old man who ducked beneath the bar. Shots were fired, which hit the jamón leg. No one was injured. The forensic police eventually found the bullets in the jamón. Um, the team then ran before being caught by police and it's suspected to be part of a youth gang war. Police are still looking for others involved. I just think it's going to fuel jamón sales this week. <laughs> Absolutely. Imagine being served up, served your tapa de jamón and there's a with bullet. With a hole. With a bullet in it. <laughs> All right, well, let's wrap it up there then. Our very first episode of La Portada podcast. This episode was recorded on June the 10th in the city of Madrid. Your hosts were Lily Mayers and me, Simon Hunter. And providing technical support and armchair punditry was Connor Doyle. Guys, please subscribe and follow us wherever you listen to podcasts and on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at La Portada Pod. New episodes will be out every Friday and we also want to hear from you. Send us your thoughts, ideas and suggestions. Our email is always open to you, laportadapod at gmail.com. And my DMs are open on Twitter. It's at Simon in Madrid. Mine's at Lily Mayers. And yeah, please subscribe wherever you're listening and tell your friends. Get the word out that there is a new podcast in town. Hasta la semana que viene. Hasta luego.